Mark chapter 7, verse 24 is on page 843 of your pew Bible. And I'd like you to read this one with me along as I read it out loud. It's going to connect us to everything that's gone before, I hope. Uh, It reads like this. And from there he, this is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Not going to hide. Not going to stop. Going to totally astound you. Sound familiar? The parables that he told about the kingdom of God are about him, and the rest of the story shows that that's exactly what happens. He's not going to stop doing what he's doing, although he is somewhere new. How he gets to Tyre and Sidon, why he goes to Tyre and Sidon, what Tyre and Sidon are, those are important things for us this morning. Uh, But first, let's just do a short recap of what happened Wednesday night, wherein uh, there was a bit of a debate about how a person is kept clean in the sight of God. And there was a certain party that said it has a lot to do with how you wash your hands before you eat. And this party, the Pharisees, holding to something called the tradition of the elders, confronted Jesus about how he didn't do it right. And again, out of this debate, Jesus proclaims to the world, food isn't going to save you. Your diet, your nutrition, your knowledge about whether or not it's clean or unclean, doesn't matter. Food, what goes in, he says. This is the key. What goes into a man cannot defile him. I don't think he means you can drink cyanide and not die. What he means is if you drink cyanide and die, it still isn't really the problem. The problem is already within. Evil comes from within, he says. That's what defiles a man. And now most cultures in history cared a lot about good and evil. They cared about it so much that they had religions in which they believed it was important to try to be good, lest the gods punish you for being evil. Uh, We live in a time where most people say uh, that's not really true anymore, or at least they act and live like it's not true. They don't care about being virtuous. They care about how they feel. That's a radical change. It's a radical change. But in the ancient world, everybody is kind of concerned with what the gods think. And Jesus again says right out the bat, the evil comes from inside a man. Well, that makes it difficult for a man to try to be good now, doesn't it? It creates a bit of a problem. It's almost as if we are in chains or maybe maybe better. It's like we would like to see. It's like we would like to hear. It's like we would like to talk, but we're blind and deaf and mute. And maybe if you listen to the gospel reading, you know where I'm going with that a little bit. But 
But where has he been? He's been talking with the Pharisees. The conflict is rising. The people who ought to receive him are not receiving him. And meanwhile, there are these massive crowds following everywhere he goes. So he can't sleep. He can't eat. He can't pray. He can't even stand there without someone up and grabbing his shirt. Because it heals them when they do. So he ends up going from there. This is back to our verse, verse 24. From there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He got out of Judah. He got out of Galilee. He left. Now, this area, Tyre and Sidon, it should be part of Israel. But the tribe that was supposed to conquer these two Phoenician cities... Uh, Phoenicians were there kind of with the Philistines, maybe before the Philistines. Uh, Anyway, these two Phoenician cities, the tribe that was supposed to get there, got there. They saw their walls. They are known, Tyre especially, for its huge walls. It's built like on the water with a wall on the beach. So you just can't get to it unless you got ships and they were a seafaring people. They they see these huge walls and they, they don't even try. And so they do not conquer the land that they were given to conquer under Joshua's command. And the result is Tyre and Sidon become the absolute thorns in the flesh of that area and and really dominate the religion of that area so that the tribes that are the seafaring tribes, Dan, Nathali, they end up being some of the first ones to kind of just disappear. They don't have to be conquered by Assyria. They just kind of culturally vanish into paganism. And Dan especially is known. It just becomes incredibly awful. Again, the... The cities are still here in Jesus' day. I I skipped another piece of the history, though. I mean, they were still there in in David's day. He has to fight against them. They were still there in uh, Jehoshaphat's day. On Jehoshaphat's day, he thought he might reunite the kingdoms. And so he went and had a little conversation with a lady named Jezebel and her husband. Jezebel, she was the queen of Israel, uh, but she was also the princess of, of Sidon. So this pagan Phoenician city is the one that sends the most wicked woman to do the most wicked things in the house of the Lord in all the history of of Israel. Uh, It was there doing that. And then again, in Jesus' day, they're still here. Uh, They've been conquered by Alexander the Great. They're now under the sway of Rome. Uh, They're very thriving ancient cities and metropolises and trade centers. But they're also going to be places that are, well, there's not going to be Jews here. Jews don't go here. You go here, you can't eat dinner. (laughs) You're unclean, right? There's too much unclean around. It might get stuck on you. So Jesus is completely out of that element. He's in a place where nobody should know who he is. Nobody should want to see him. And he tries, he tries, it says, to be hidden. Can you imagine? He's actually just like going into Chicago to be left alone, right? Getting lost somewhere, right? Uh, But it, it doesn't work out. Verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. That should rend your heart a little bit. But now the woman was a Gentile, not a Jew. Of course, she lived in Tyre. Uh, A Syrophoenician by birth, though. Oh, this is actually one of the Canaanites. You know, This this is the deepest, most evil bloodline in the history of the Jewish enemies. And this means they're enemies of God. Again, what this means is she's the last person on earth who should want Jesus around. Her entire history of a people is about hating this God. And now here he is. And more so, again, I hope your heart rends a little bit when you hear 
about a little girl who has uh, got a demon inside of her, the same way that I hope your heart rends a little bit when you hear these days about a, a young girl who has had her, her upper body chopped off because she thinks she's a boy or a young boy who's had his lower body chopped off because his parents tell him he's a girl. I hope your heart rends when you hear these things. And at the same time, I hope you can see how uh, she deserves it. She's a Syrophoenician. She's a Canaanite. She's a pagan. She has no God. She lives in a world of witchcraft. People around her practice witchcraft. They have to. That's what they do as pagans. That's what idolatry is. They ask demons to come and help them. And then the demons come and do stuff like this. She deserves it. That's important. It's important because you need to know you deserve it too. I mean, this is essential to Christianity. Beggars all. Yeah? We each deserve to be cast from the presence of God, but this is what Jesus is so special for. As he didn't have to come here. He didn't have to save. He could have just been wrath, but he knows mercy is greater than wrath. That's who he is. And so here she is, coming to the God of mercy, even though she ought not. She's bringing what she deserves, and he gives her an answer that is fairly just. Yeah? Verse 27, he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's a, that's a strange comment. It really, really is. But what cuts through it and makes sense of it is if you believe, and I think, I think according to the, the media zeitgeist wokeism of the day, you have to believe this. You have to believe this. But uh, the way I'm going to say it, it might sound bad at first. Uh, you, you need to believe that there is a difference between a Jew and not a Jew. There, there is a difference between those who are descended from Abraham and Judah and David and those who are not. And that difference is that Jesus came to them first. Period. End of story. And, and it means something, though, that he came to them first. Theirs is the prophets. Theirs is the scriptures, Paul says. You know, would that they believed. Now that's Paul, again, who, who is a Jew, who does believe. But this idea that Jesus is a Jew of that house, and therefore they are his own, and that when he decided to save the world, he did decide to save them first, that he called Abraham out of where he was, that he maintained this distinction, right? You have to believe that's true in order to understand when Jesus says, I, I didn't come to heal a bunch of pagans. That, that wasn't what I came to do. I came to die on a cross for a bunch of pagans. It's different. I came to heal the Jews. Why? Because it's why they're going to kill me. <laughs> because they don't want me to heal them. If they did, they'd rejoice at my coming. Right? So, so he says to her, like, lady, you got it wrong. I'm not here for you. I'm not here for this. I'm actually trying to get a little shut-eye. So maybe you can hear the, uh, the frustration in Jesus' voice. It does show up in Mark from time to time. Don't, it doesn't have to be in this verse, but, but it can be. Yeah? And, and she doesn't disagree. Next verse. She doesn't disagree at all. Uh, she says, yes, Lord. Right? Yes, King. Yes, Caesar. <laughs> you know, yes, Master. 
Absolutely. Completely right. You are here to heal the Jews so that they'll kill you for the life of the world. That being true, even the dogs eat the crumbs that the children don't want. Why is Jesus entire again? I mean, what just happened? Did he just not have a conflict with the Pharisees and have to kind of leave a little bit to create some space? Could he not be considered a crumb falling off the table because the kids didn't want it right now? Why, yes, indeed. And his answer is, well, gee, wow, for this statement, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. You're right. I am the bread of heaven. I am the God of mercy. I am the one who has come to save. And you seem to know that. So uh, since I love that, yay, blessings. <laughs> and, and on it goes. And, and uh, she goes her way, right? Verse 30, goes home, finds the child lying in bed, demon gone. And I would assume she repented of all witchcraft going forward. There wasn't any in her life. Uh, she knew who the true God was. I wonder what it was like the day she heard that Jesus died. And I wonder what it was like the day she heard that Jesus rose. I wonder, you know, did she move to Antioch to join that first Christian church? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know any of that. She, she, this is a real human. This is our sister. See that too. It's a beautiful thing. So then uh, from there, he, he stays up in this area. Verse 31, he returned from the region of Tyre. He's going to go back to Judea, but by way of Sidon. So it goes through this other wicked city coming to the Sea of Galilee and back into the region of the Decapolis. That's the 10 cities on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, I'm not going to try to show you on the page, but this is the opening a little bit of a, of a sandwich. I've talked about these sandwiches that Mark makes where he tells one story and then puts another one in the middle and then brings back another at the end. This is a big sandwich. He's going to actually put some like lettuce on cheese on both sides of the meat, right? We're going to make a big inside outside thing. And on the other side, the other bookend of this, there's a blind man. So that's all I want you to see right now is that right now he's got deaf and dumb, blind is coming, and everything else is going to be inside as a bit of a story that completes this Wednesday. You should come to midweek services for, for all that good stuff. So uh, that sandwich begins here. I'm not going to really talk much about that sandwich. What I want to do for the rest of our time this morning uh, is wrestle with the metaphor. The metaphor. Okay. Uh, this man who is dumb and deaf lives a kind of suffering that I, I just can't imagine. I do remember watching the movie Helen Keller as a freshman in high school. It's a black and white stage play rendition. And, and Helen Keller was this uh, blind, deaf, mute girl who became kind of famous because someone did learn how to communicate with her. And then she became uh, prolific in her work. Um, but the movie is, yeah, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour of screaming. And she's just screaming all the time. People touch her. She screams. They try to hug her. She screams. She can't hear. She can't see. She's just lost in darkness at all times. Now, now this guy, um, he, he can see. He can see, but it's just dead silence and nothing can ever come out. Now, can, can you imagine the loneliness? The loneliness alone. Everyone's around you, but you 
There's, there's nothing, right? Just, just touch and sight. Uh, so uh, the, the metaphor again then is uh, something that can take away from this man was real. This man was living this. But it's written because it is about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus for you, and therefore you're in the story. <laughs> uh, and when you're in the story, you're not Jesus. So guess who you are? Right? You want to know how to read the Bible, you got to believe you're whoever's not Jesus in the story. And in that moment, let it be what you believe about your life. I promise you, you won't go wrong. You'll just love Jesus more, and you'll be confident that you're in the same train of saints as all of these great men of old, from David to this guy. this nameless, deaf, mute. The metaphor, then, is that you are the one who can't hear. You are the one who can't speak. And you can be very literalistic and say, of course I can hear and I can speak. But then, okay, what's the symbol? Remember how Jesus talked about parables? And the reason he told parables was so that those who did not believe in him would not be able to hear it? He is continually confronting the fact that mankind's problem is God can say, I save you as much as he wants. Man's like, no, you didn't. We got plugs in our ears called pride and hate and malice and chaos. And as a result, when we speak, even though noise comes out of our mouth, our words are bent. They're bent. That's why you have probably 95% of your arguments. Like there's 5% where you actually disagree. And then there's 95% where there was a little tweak in the way that the sound was made. The word didn't quite say what they thought it was supposed to say. It was too much emotion. Who knows? They're bent. And so miscommunications begin to fire. Yeah. This is called the curse of Babel. It's written about in Genesis. It shouldn't be surprising to us. Language is decay. But now here, can you see that that means that in a sense, you never really are able to speak. Not the way man was supposed to. right? Not until you say Christ has died. Christ is risen. The Christ will come again. But this is the point that your tongue is loosed by Jesus. <laughs> Things change when the Spirit of God and His Holy Word enter your life. The word that you speak, which is confusing, becomes less confusing when it's a psalm. Because it's always going to be what it is. And the more that the wisdom of, say, the Proverbs becomes just what you decide to live by, the more straight your life's going to feel. Those are facts. The Word of God does come to open man's mouth and bid him sing again. So let's, let's see that metaphor here as we go through the story. Yeah? That this is you in your sin. I'm going to do one more thing before we hit the story. I think we've got the time. Uh, there, there's a song I started listening to recently. I was kind of doing some exploration in the last year and a half of contemporary Christian rock and roll and rap, mostly. Nothing I would ever really want in a church, but I don't mind it when I'm driving my Jeep, right? So I, I did some exploration, and I, I was listening to this one song that I had to listen to it a couple of times because on the surface, I hated it. I hated it. And yet every time it came on, I was like, golly, but I kind of need to hear that. And, and, and what it did was it came out and it said, be quiet, child. I need to tell you something. 
I want you. You have meaning. You have purpose. Because I love you. That's most of it. God speaking to you in a way that you might say, that sounds really cheesy and it doesn't confess Christ crucified. And that's all true. Except for that, don't you need to hear that? That I, your pastor, love you. That I think you have meaning. And you have purpose. Because Christ is in you. Because the Spirit of God is in this place right now, in us. So, let a little bit of that need to just know that the story is about you too. pepper this here, right? Here we go. Verse 32, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him, begged him, please, no, lay his hands on him. Weird. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Normally, doesn't Jesus just sort of say, you know, this thing happened? (laughs) Or, you know, go home. The demons left your daughter. He doesn't even like do anything for that one, right? But now here he makes this show of it. And I don't, scholars argue about it. They don't know either. I don't know. I know that when he heals the blind man, he's going to do it again. And there's this weird bit about trees that shows up. And we'll, we'll play with that when that shows up. But um, I think my favorite Lutheran answer, and this is not wrong, uh, is God is a God who does engage us through things, right? You don't see God, you see his creation. God's behind it. It's like a mask that he wears. Uh, in this way, uh, God likes to use what we call means so when he washes you, he uses water and his word. And, and when he feeds you, he uses bread and wine. He uses means. And so here's Jesus using some means, which, by the way, water from his own body happens to be one of them. So it's not like baptism is a million miles away, right? It's just not maybe the main point of the text. But imagine the show a little bit here, too. I just, here's this guy, and Jesus takes his fingers and <laughs> pops them in his ears, right? And then takes his hand, spits on his hand. I mean, you'd be thinking that was weird, right? And then touches the guy's tongue. But all of this little, I don't know, what do you call it, is followed up by this swelling cry, right? And the word, which was in one of our hymns from from last week, Ephatha, be opened. It it doesn't seem to come across in English to me at all. It it almost sounds kind of weak as a word, Ephatha. It kind of rolls off the tongue weakly. But what you just have to hear is that this is like a soul deep cry. And it isn't as though uh, Jesus can't do it, right? That's not what's going on. But what Mark wants you to do is see the man. See, the man who's been through so much already has to sleep on boats and hide in the mountains and leave his town. His own family doesn't want him around. The powers that be don't like the fact that he's healing people from lifelong diseases. He's just trying to get a little shut eye. Will it open? He shouts and boom, the guy's healed. Nothing gets in Jesus' way from showing mercy. I I really do think that is the, the meat of all of it. Nothing gets in Jesus' way from showing mercy. And again, 
who are you? You are the one whose life is constantly under siege and assault from the lies of the devil. The devil wants to close your heart, close your ears, close your eyes, and make you just an automaton, run along the wide path of hasty destruction. And Jesus says no to that. He says, be opened to you. Right? And, and, and what does happen? Let's go ahead and read that. Verse 35, his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And yeah, you confessed the creed already this morning and you're going to sing a hymn again. What I want you to believe is that it's not going to stop there. It's not over when you leave. And you're not going to be able to close your ears to the lies anymore or the same way, especially the lies you tell yourself. That your mouth is going to desire to speak what God says because it tastes sweeter than honey, even when the cup is bitter. Uh, Verse 36 kind of is this idea. Jesus charged them to tell no one. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Now, we've spent 150 years saying to populations in the church like you, you ought to go do a mission. Tell your friends about Jesus. And while we've been doing this, we've watched the church just decline, decline, decline. So I don't know if I should tell you, like, whatever you do this week, don't tell anyone about Jesus. Uh, Would that actually get it to happen? Uh, I'd rather you would just see this as the fact that It's not going to hide. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. And it's going to totally surprise you by the time it's done. In fact, they are astonished beyond measure. (laughs) Surprised, right? Astonished beyond measure. It's the same idea. Uh, They're astonished beyond measure, and they say, he's done everything good. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, which is something attributed to God. And again, that blind man is, is shortly coming. So where does that leave us today? I'll just kind of recap it all. That what comes out of you is what makes you evil. And you don't have to look too hard to find that. But but Jesus knows that blindness and that deafness and that dumbness. And he came specifically with his word and his sacraments to say, be opened to you. And here you are. How great a confidence then do you not have? That while he's not going to hide, not going to stop, going to totally surprise you, that your entire life is going to reflect that, echo that, be a Christian little version of that. Stand firm, lift up your head, and rejoice. It's Lent. In the name of Jesus, amen.